Sam and kids. And uh, you can go ahead and be finding Acts 28 if you have your copy of God's Word this morning. Uh, Pastor Chad and his family are away this weekend at a special camp that has some unique opportunities for kids like Lottie who have some special challenges in life and they have been able to experience some things over this weekend that have just been amazing things. Uh, we got a beautiful picture of Lottie water skiing yesterday and uh, it was just fantastic. We're so thankful that they're getting that time together uh, at camp this weekend, so certainly be praying for them. Um, and as Colin said, next week is going to be a really exciting Sunday in the life of our church. We are going to be commissioning individuals and families that are being sent out from here on mission and in ministry to East Africa, to North Africa, to Southern Europe, for missionary training in Mexico before taking on another assignment next year, and a new church plant in Rankin County. I mean, what a group. I mean, to take that long to list off the people that are being sent out from here, what a blessing. In case you haven't counted, that's approximately 51 of our people that normally worship here at Colonial Heights. And because we're super Christians and we believe life begins at conception and we're Baptists and so we take credit for everything, we're going to bump it up to 52 <laughs> because Baby Marsh is due around Christmas. So we're going to go ahead and take credit for Baby Marsh and... Uh, you know, while we're stretching the truth, let's just take world record for world's youngest missionary, huh? <laughs> we'll do that. So if you heard that Pastor Chad wasn't going to be here this morning and your expectations kind of dropped, you get to leave as a new world record holder. So there's that. <laughs> but the thing that we have to realize is that means at some point this fall, nearly 8% of our people who normally worship here will not be here on a Sunday morning. And that means that they're going so that people in places who have never heard the good news of the gospel, who've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed, they're going for that specific purpose and to contribute to the ministry efforts there. And we do that so that healthy gospel-centered churches can be planted where they are not currently and so that young fledgling churches can be built up. And so that they can be obedient to how they believe God is calling them in their life right now to the missionary task. And that's what we believe the missionary task is. That's how we define it, is to go about the job of proclaiming the gospel in another context so that healthy, gospel-centered churches will exist where they currently don't. But that means that Roughly 90 to 92% of us will stay right here at Colonial Heights where God has placed us. I mean, we realize, right, that being a missionary is different. There's a differentiation there, right? We realize that. But the Great Commission has been given to all of us, to all believers. You know, when Jesus said in Acts 1, you will be my witnesses to all parts of the earth, and when he said in Matthew 28, you go and make disciples of all nations. He just couldn't have been talking to just the few people that are standing there. I mean, when you think about the enormity of 
God's word reaching the nations, reaching every corner of the planet, it couldn't have been simply for that small group that was standing there. He was speaking to the church. That's you and that's me. That's all of us. And you may remember sometime back in a previous message that Pastor Chad described all Christians, all believers. He described them in two ways, if you remember that. He described them as type one believers, which is all of us. And we've all been given the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And then some will be type two believers, as he described those. They'll be asked to do the same thing, but in another context. But what about this 92% of us, Christ followers, who believe that at this moment, God has not yet revealed that we're supposed to go anywhere? He has placed us here specifically and given us the task that he laid out. So what are we supposed to do? Well, I think we can find a good example of that by looking at a portion of the life of the Apostle Paul. And that may seem a little strange because you may, like me, you may be instantly thinking, all right, time out. The Apostle Paul was the greatest missionary that ever walked the planet, right? How are we going to learn to go where we are? How are we going to learn to make disciples where God has placed us by looking at the life of the Apostle Paul? Well, Paul didn't spend his entire life traveling. He didn't spend it going around Asia and Europe. And if we look back at the book of Acts, we see a quick outline that tells us that after his conversion, he spends a lot of time in Jerusalem and in Syria and Cilicia. We read about all those beatings, how he was chased out of city after city. And towards the end of the book, after he has begun to travel on his missionary journeys, we even read about all of these experiences he had. Like, not how many have been shipwrecked in here? One. We actually have someone who's been in a shipwreck here. Paul wasn't just shipwrecked. Paul was shipwrecked multiple times, more than once. He was beaten. There were even snake bites involved. I mean, as he traveled, he experienced a lot of interesting things. But his missionary journeys took him all over Central Asia and Europe, including many islands where he came into conflict with the Jewish leaders. And he finally appealed to the Roman government and found himself in a Roman prison. And that's where we pick up in our scripture this morning. Paul is in a Roman prison for the first time, for the first time. And that's not exactly the home context that any of us would pick, right? To be in prison, not exactly your idea of home or where you hope God places you. But let's take a look at this text. Let's read and see how Paul lived a life of faithfulness when he wasn't traveling to foreign countries, when he wasn't planting churches in new places. How did he remain faithful to the teachings of Christ in that situation? So in Acts 28, join me. We're going to start in verse 17. And Scripture says, After three days he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, though I had no charge to bring against my own nation, excuse me, but because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. 
For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one more statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed." lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, as we look at exactly how Paul set out to accomplish the Great Commission, where he couldn't go anywhere, we need to back up just one more verse. If you'll look a little further up than where we started to verse 16, you'll read it says that Luke's writing here, when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself and the soldier who guarded him. It seems like Paul is under, he's under arrest but it sounds like he's not in a conventional prison at this time. It sounds like he's under some sort of house arrest and that he's being guarded closely by, a, by the Roman guard. It seems that he's night and day chained to another man. So what does Paul do? He makes the most of it. And that's exactly what Scripture calls us to do in our daily lives. That's the first thing we want to look at today. Make the most of your situation. From verse 30 and onward, we also see that Paul was in this situation for nearly two years and that he welcomed anyone who would be in his company, anyone who was willing to listen to him teach from God's word. He started this by proclaiming to the Roman guards, and then we read in this passage as well, that he invited the leadership of the Jews to listen to the gospel of the Messiah. And ultimately, anyone who would listen was invited to hear what he had to say. It's really amazing how Paul approached imprisonment, isn't it? I mean, Paul was a prisoner, but he's not complaining, he's proclaiming, even as he's under arrest. As a matter of fact, during this time, Paul did a lot of writing, and, and when we look, this is about the time that he writes to the church in Colossians chapter 4, and he asks them to pray that he will be able to minister while he wears his chains. He asks them to pray to give him the boldness to do that, and he asks for God to open a door for him to be faithful in his current situation. 
Paul's not simply asking for God to miraculously intervene in the fact that he is now in jail. Instead, he's asking that they would pray that this time in jail would actually, uh, would actually advance the gospel. And we know for a fact that prayer was answered. We know that it happened uh, at least once, actually more than once. You remember Onesimus? Remember that name? It's kind of hard to forget if you've studied the Bible. He was the subject of the book of Paul's letter to Philemon. And when Paul wrote this letter to Philemon, he was asking him to forgive this slave and accept him as a new believer in Christ. Onesimus had run away. And he was asking Philemon to not only forgive him, he was asking him to treat him as a brother. Even though he had apparently stolen from him, he had run away illegally, Paul is asking Philemon to treat Onesimus as the gospel had laid out brotherly love. And I mean, don't you know that Onesimus was thankful that Paul remained faithful during this time to write that letter, right? Otherwise, Onesimus is a dead man if it hadn't been for the faithfulness of Paul. And it happened more than once. We know that many Roman guards were hearing about Jesus while Paul was in this imprisonment. Uh, if we flip over to the letter that he wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are now much more bold to speak the word without fear. So while Paul is in prison, the military and even the Jewish, the military is hearing the gospel. Even the Jewish believers who are returning to Rome after they had been kicked out by the Roman government, even those guys, as they come back, they are being emboldened in their faith by learning that Paul is remaining faithful even in chains. So the gospel was changing people inside the prison and throughout the entire city. Paul's life was making a difference for the kingdom, and it wasn't simply that Paul was just staying in one place and that he couldn't move. Paul was actually chained to another dude and still preaching, still proclaiming the change that had come in his own life in the hardest of hard circumstances. I don't know what you're going through today, but I would venture to say you're not in prison, right? I mean, you're here. So we can take Paul's example and we can take whatever we are encountering in life and know that there is a way that we are able to be obedient to make disciples in our own circumstances. We need to just make the most of every day that the Lord gives us to speak truth to every person that we encounter. We need to pray. We need to encourage our fellow believers to do the same and embolden them in their faith. Paul was having a, a global impact like we talk about. We want to have a global impact. We want to see the Great Commission accomplished at some point through the Spirit's working. Well, Paul was having that kind of impact and never leaving his spot, being in prison. So we want to make the most of our situation. Secondly, you need to teach people from Scripture. 
Second, teach people about Jesus using the Scripture. We see this modeled in the life of church believers throughout the New Testament. If we flip back to the early chapters of Acts, we see Stephen, even as the men are picking up the stones to stone him and kill him, we see Stephen doing what? Reciting Scripture. Teaching Scripture until the end when he was martyred. I mean, Philip the Evangelist, one of my favorites, what did Philip do? Philip sees the Ethiopian on the road. He hears that he is reading from the book of Isaiah, and he says, you know what, let's talk about that. And he begins to share the good news of the gospel about how the Messiah has come and that these words that he's reading in Isaiah have been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And going back to chapter 28 of Acts right here, our text this morning, uh, look back up to verse 23. In Paul's second meeting with the Jewish leaders, he tells us this. He says, when they had appointed a day for him, or Luke says, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. And from morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of the prophets and from Moses. So we need to not neglect all of Scripture whenever we are sharing Christ with those who need to hear it. Tony Morita in the Christ-Centered Exposition Commentary, said that as he looks at this passage, he sees Paul sharing Scripture in four different ways, and it was so good, I just I wanted to share it with you. He says, first of all, we see Paul sharing Scripture from dawn to dusk. If we back up in the story of Acts, the story of the early church, when you look at chapter 20, do you remember the story where Paul was in Troas, and it says he started preaching that morning, and he preached all night long? And you remember there was this poor soul with an unfortunate name, Eutychus, who was sitting in the window. And Paul preached so long that Eutychus falls asleep and falls out the window, and they think he's dead. Now, I'm just going to tell you, as someone who gets to to preach from time to time, one one of your greatest fears is to look out, somebody's nodding off. I mean, there may be a few here today, I'm not sure. But, I mean, none of us who have preached, for the most part, I would say, have probably ever been so unfortunate that you preached so long and so bad somebody died from it, right? (laughs) But we're called to be this faithful, to preach like this at all times. And most of you may never get the chance to stand and just real quickly have a captive audience like this and preach to them. Your method of teaching from Scripture will probably come in other ways. And what that causes us to do, it causes us to do something that we have been talking about a little bit around here, and it's the fact that we need to be urgent but not hasty. And there's a difference. We need to be urgent but not hasty. For most of us, our gospel conversations are going to come over time in relationship with other people. And it may take more time, but we need to be faithful to preach, as as Tony Marita describes, from dawn till dusk at every opportunity that people will give us. 
So he preached from dawn to dusk. He also preached from cover to cover. We've kind of mentioned that already. But Paul's example shows us that he reasoned with them from the law of Moses and the prophets and began to teach them about this new king of Israel, this new Messiah who was recently crucified for the sins of the world. And that much of the New Testament was even, was even being written right now or actually hadn't been written at all. But yet the Old Testament scriptures are sufficient to point to Christ and to show people the good news of God's redemption, of our sinfulness and the need that we had for a Savior and that God was so faithful to provide that for us. So we need to not neglect all of scripture as we share with people over time. The third thing he says is that Paul also preached from heart to heart. We look at the, back at verse 23, we can see this uh, example. It says, When they had appointed a day for him again, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers, and from morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus both from the law and from the prophets. As we share information, as we share scripture and the gospel with people, it's not simply just a transfer of information. You just understanding it, you just receiving what we have to tell you is not saving grace. We need to understand that. And the reason that we need to understand that is we know that the conviction and salvation is a supernatural combination of the Holy Spirit breaking a person's heart and us convincing or persuading through the power and of the compelling message of the gospel to them. It's both. It's both. And we know and we're confident the Holy Spirit is going to do its work, his work, and so we need to do what we're supposed to do, to be faithful to share. And fourth, he says... We share scripture from Jew to Gentile. Jesus came to provide the possibility of that salvation for everyone. And so we need to be prepared to share it with everyone. Paul appealed to the Jews by reading from the Old Testament scriptures, but he also challenged them with the fact that we must repent, we must believe in King Jesus. That must happen. Paul made the most of his situation he preached from the scripture. That leads us to the third thing. We need to ask God for boldness in our Christian lives. We need to ask God for boldness. Look back at verse 30 toward the end of the chapter. It says that he lived there for two years, two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Jesus, about Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, with all boldness and without hindrance. Luke finishes the book of Acts by emphasizing that Paul continued to make the Lord Jesus Christ the focus of his time in prison. I mean, that's Paul's MO all the time, right? Is to keep things centralized on the person of Jesus Christ. Back in chapter 19, uh, before Paul had even made it to Rome, we see him preaching boldly in the synagogues. And then when they kicked him out of there, he went to the pagan temples. He went to the hall of Tyrannus and he went to the streets, right? But he was bold in this proclamation, even when it meant he got thrown out of places. And this didn't just start when he arrived in Rome. 
And we know that only the boldness that he had received can only be given by the Holy Spirit. I mean, we know this because Paul wrote four different letters during this prison stay. He wrote to the Ephesians, he wrote to Colossians, he wrote to the Philippians, and he wrote the letter to Philemon that we already talked about. And there was a constant emphasis on the need for the boldness that only the Scripture can provide. If we look back at this letter that went to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6, he's told the church, he said, And pray also for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mission, the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, referring to the chains he's in right now, and that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And you know, as we look throughout the entire book of Acts, if you want to start at Acts 1 and just go all the way through it, you will see that Luke emphasizes this Holy Spirit-empowered boldness as a, characteristic, as a characteristic trait of faithful witnesses. He says that faithful witnesses will be emboldened by the Holy Spirit. And we know that Scripture teaches us that at that moment when we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit, right? Therefore, boldness in proclaiming the gospel is not a gift that we receive. That boldness is not a gift. It's an act of obedience for every believer. And you may say, well, you know what? I don't feel that boldness. Well, then we have to ask, well, do you have the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is the one that provides that. And Scripture teaches us it's in black and white. If you have been saved, you have received the Holy Spirit. I mean, don't you want that said about you as a Christ follower? Don't you want to say he or she was such a bold witness for Christ? I want that said about me. We need to pray for the Spirit to give us boldness, and then we need to use it, which is a lot of our problem, right? We need to use it. Paul used this time that he had to speak boldly, but then in verse 31, it tells us that Paul spoke about the Lord Jesus Christ without hindrance. What? What do you mean without hindrance? He's chained to a man or to a wall. Not the words that I would choose. I mean, I think about hindrances as, well, I was late getting there, so I didn't get to talk to him. Not, I was chained to another man that would not let me leave. How can he say this? He was under arrest. Well, it could refer to the fact that Paul wasn't in a, that Paul wasn't in a formal prison. Instead, he was doing this kind of house arrest thing. But I don't really think that's it. I think that what Paul was saying is that although he was chained, the word of God will never be bound. So that leads us to the fourth thing. Be confident in the gospel not in your situation. Be confident in the gospel. I think that's what Paul meant. I'm always a little leery when preachers say that this person was thinking this or this person was thinking that in the Bible because, quite frankly, we just don't know. I'm fine if you want to think about it, but we just don't know. But in this case, I think we can confidently say that this is what Paul meant because 
In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes this to Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. He said it. I think we're pretty safe saying that's what he was thinking here. You know, in seminary classes, they always tell you the best way to interpret Scripture is with Scripture. By seeing what does Scripture in its totality, what does it is in a whole say about itself? One of the most common excuses that Christians give for not talking to people about their faith is that they don't know all the answers. And I am guilty of that very sentiment myself. I don't know all the answers, therefore I'm a little bit cautious about sharing. But the reality is that's just pride, right? It's just fear of what I'm going to look like, of what's going to be said about me, rather than obediently, boldly proclaiming the gospel. If the gospel, hasn't cha- if the gospel has changed you, you've got a story to tell, and the Holy Spirit will accomplish His work through that. So let's look at how that happened in the early church in Acts simply by doing that. Luke documents it for us all throughout the book of Acts. And I'll just read these off. I'll read the passages if you want to write them down. Acts 6, chapter 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Acts 12, 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts 16, verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in their faith and they increased in numbers daily. Acts 19, 20, so the word of God continued to increase and prevail mightily. Notice that not one time in any of these accounts does it mention anything about the skills of the person who shared the word. Not one time. Hebrews 4.12 tells us the reason. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The power and strength of the gospel is in the message, not the messenger. So share the message and let it do its work. Be confident in the gospel. Remember that the gospel has now made it to Rome. In this letter, as we read it, it has now made it to Rome. You know, we have this, this I, I won't say you do, maybe you're a historian. I was not. We have this vision because at the time, the Roman Empire was the whole known world. It was the whole thing. And because we're believers and because we read God's word, a lot of times we tend to believe that Jerusalem was kind of the center of everything that was taking place. But if you look at the map, Jerusalem is actually occurring right out here on the fringe, on the eastern edge of the Roman Empire. Basically, what's going on in Jerusalem sort of constitutes small-town life as far as the Romans were concerned. But the fact that not only did this sect, as the Jewish leaders referred to it, call it, not only did it survive in Jerusalem, it was changing lives all over the known world. And it had actually made it from Jerusalem all the way to the center. It's now in Rome. 
Even Jesus' own followers were stunned that this could happen. You remember when, when Jesus was uh, calling the disciples in the early days and they were beginning to gather and everything? Do you remember what Nathaniel said? He said, what good could come from Nazareth? You remember that? And Philip, the evangelist, again, one of my favorites, what did he say to him? He said, come and see. Just come and see. That's exactly how we are supposed to respond. We're supposed to do the same thing with the people that God puts in our lives. Just tell them, come and see. And boldly share scripture with them. And then just be confident in the gospel doing what the gospel does. And then the fifth thing we need to do when we look at Paul's example in this is we need to live for Jesus until we see him. Live for King Jesus until you see him face to face. According to church history and scripture, we know that even though Paul stayed under this house arrest for two years, this was not the end of his perseverance. Paul continued on the task, the next task where it was believed that he actually wrote 1 Timothy and Titus and other writings before he was arrested and brought back to Rome for the second time. This wasn't the end of his story in this Roman prison at this time. He was actually arrested and brought back for a second time. And that's when we believe he maybe wrote 2 Timothy, the last letter that he actually wrote. And it was just before he was to be executed, to be martyred for his faith. And church history would tell us that the emperor Nero gave the order that Paul was to be executing and executed. And at that moment, Paul's words changed. Now, his tone didn't change. His message didn't change, but his words finally did as it looked like his death was upon him. He was just as passionate as he's always been, not sad, but bold in 2 Timothy when he wrote these words to him. He said, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all of those who have loved his appearing. And skipping down a little bit, he says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul lived a faithful life until he was prepared to see King Jesus face to face. And we're called to do the same thing. Don't waste a day. Don't waste an opportunity. Don't waste an encounter. Don't waste a person without sharing with them the good news of the gospel. I mean, I hope today as you sit here, I hope that you know this King Jesus that Paul is talking about. I mean, I hope you're like me. I hope you just needed a little bit of encouragement to remind you of what living a life of faithfulness is supposed to look like right here from Paul's words. Where we live, where we go to school, where we work, 
And if you don't know him, if you don't know why Paul would be so enthusiastic, even while in prison, about the hope that he has, if you don't understand that, I want to invite you in just a minute as we start to sing, as we start to worship him, that you would just make your way right over here to the left of this room. There are some people here that have this same joy, this same hope that Paul had and would love to talk to you about how you could have that hope that we find in Christ Jesus. And for those of you who do know him, let's let our lives be poured out like Paul until the very end. And let's spend the next few minutes singing about that hope, about that glory, about that future that he know, we know he promises that we will have with him. Let's stand and worship him right now.